The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Welcome to Truth Transforms. Join in for spiritually enlightening discussion and the practical application of new thought principles. Here's your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. Welcome to Truth Transforms. It's been a long time since I've been with you all. Um, I've been kind of off and on, off and on, etc. But we're going to try to get a decent run of shows before I take a break, or at least I'm going to try. So, um, <laughs> how you doing? I, uh, I'm Galen McDowell, your host, and I am the Senior Assistant Minister at Christ Universal Temple in Chicago, Illinois, where the Reverend Dr. Derek B. Wells is the Senior Minister and the Reverend Dr. Johnny Coleman is the founder. We're still in the midst of the series, Abundance Now, which is based upon the book of the same title by Lisa Nichols. I uh, really like this book, and I want to give it... Uh, uh, you know, a, a really good goal far as teaching it and making sure that I'm pulling the nuggets out. As I've stated before, I probably could teach this book for a whole year. It has that many nuggets in it. But I want to make sure that I do give you some things today that you can use, that you can practically utilize today, start working on, etc. The book has a lot of exercises and other things of that nature that I don't go over while I'm teaching it because this type of format really doesn't um, um, support exercises and things of that nature, stop, pause, write, and et cetera. And then we have dead air, for instance. So my request is that you actually get the book, Abundance Now by Lisa Nichols, and you go with me chapter by chapter. So if you started off with me, you should have read this book a, a couple of times over now and actually worked through the exercises and and at this point, should have started putting a game plan together to actually practically apply what you're learning. So let's get right to it. We're in the midst of Chapter 5, titled The Fourth E, Endowment for a Beautiful Future. And I'm going directly to page 209, 209. Now, let me just say this before I start. If you do have questions, because I know I haven't been on for the last couple of weeks, and I was on a week, and then I was off a couple of weeks before that. If you have any questions, you can call in at 888-558-6489, 888-558-6489. I want to make sure that everybody who has a question has an opportunity to get an answer. So now let's get to it. Page 209, to create prosperity, you first must create a new relationship with money. She wrote, once I approached my relationship to money from a new angle, I began to see the purpose of money very differently. Money was no longer the root of all evil. Money was no longer about world domination. Let me just stop here for a moment. Sometimes, as and we'll talk about this a little bit more later, our upbringing can can determine how we view everything. 
including money. Now, this chapter obviously is about dealing with your prosperity or money consciousness. So I just want to make sure that that's prepped. But, you know, if if we believe that something is bad or wrong, subconsciously, we push against it, even if we consciously say we want it. So it's, it's, it's walking in a paradox and that doesn't benefit you. So she went on to write, I began to think of money as an instrument, money as a tool, money as a critical team member for achieving, excuse me, money as a critical team member for achieving your dreams and desired lifestyle. While money can have a chokehold on you, it can equally be a source of freedom. Money is a change agent for our lives and for the lives of others. Now, again, money is a tool. Money is an instrument. Another way of saying it is money is a means of exchange. You don't eat money. You don't wear money. You don't drive on money. You don't fly on money. You don't take trains on money. You don't, you know, go on vacation and stay at money. Money is a means of exchange that allows those opportunities to, uh, to be to be met. So as you develop uh, a money consciousness and actually build wealth, it allows you to trade wealth for those experiences and for, and for those uh, objects, uh, for the home, for the car, for the school, for the clothes, for the vacations, for the support of things that you believe in. So it's an instrument. It's a tool. It's a means of exchange. It's 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 the movement of of energy. Reverend Coleman uh, used to borrow uh, her friend, um, uh, the, the Reverend Ray, Raymond Charles Barker's statement: "Money is God in action," which meant it was God's good in activity. Now you say, "Well, uh, well, why do you say that?" Well, it's just a way of looking at it. If 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 money is from a metaphysical standpoint just an expression of God's abundance or supply or substance, then it's in action. Is God in action, or is God's good or supply in action? You are God in action, but that doesn't mean that you can't do wrong things with the power to think, feel, speak, and act that God has given you. So when you do something wrong, uh, uh, it's not the intelligence of God working in and through you that allows you to do it that's wrong. You made a choice to do something wrong with what God gave you. It's the same thing with money. Now, the author goes on to say, when we shift our relationship to money, when we decide that money is good, money is available, money creates freedom, money creates memories, money cuts the ties that bind people in place, money provides possibility, and money can be an instrument versus an all-consuming struggle, then money becomes a conversation tool in our lives. It becomes the thing that gives us access to transformation, access to social cause, and access to economic responsibility. Now, this paragraph is packed with nuggets. First of all, first of all, she says, when we shift, because that means because none of this stuff is possible unless we shift. And how do we shift? She gives us the way we can shift our relationship to money. Now, you might think, I don't have a relationship to money. You have a relationship with everything in your life. And your relationship is the meaning that you give it. In the uh, Garden of Eden story, which is an allegory, uh, Adam was brought, God brought all the animals to Adam, and they didn't have names. And whatever Adam named 
the animal, that is what it was. That was its nature. Well, Adam metaphysically symbolizes the thinking phase of mind. And whatever name or meaning you give to a thing, for you, that's what it is to you and for you. That's your relationship with it. So it doesn't make a difference what it is. It could be money. It could be intimate relationships. It could be friendships. It could be job. It could be career. It could be business. It could be health. It could be food. It could be rest, sleep, vacation. It could be church, religion, spirituality, scripture. It could be politics, etc. You have a relationship with everything because you've named it something in your mind. You have thoughts around it. You have feelings around it. Therefore, you have a relationship with it. Even if your relationship is, I don't want to deal with that right now. That's a relationship. I don't want to talk about that right now. That's a relationship. I don't want to be bothered with that right now. That's a relationship. So recognize that you do have a money relationship. Because when you get in the context of a money relationship, it makes you think about it differently. How do you have healthy relationships? What are the things that happen that provide a healthy relationship? And just because something is 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 not what we call physically alive does not mean you don't have a relationship with it. If you can think about it, you have a relationship with it. And the and depending on the amount of time you think on a thing, feel on a thing, contemplate on a thing, become intimate with the ideas around a thing, the closer your relationship is with the thing. For instance, uh, I have a, a fascination with the historical Jesus. I read books, Marcus Borg and John Shelby Spong and and Bart Ehrman and Rocco Errico and John Dominique Crossan and Robert Funk and Jesus Seminar Work and, and I could just go on and on and on and on, Bible scholar after Bible scholar, because he fascinates me. Therefore, I'm, I study him to understand him differently. So I have so my relationship with him might be differently. Now again, I'm not talking about the man because the man, whatever your religious beliefs are, the historical Jesus left the earth almost two thousand years ago. But I contemplate the idea of him that is presented in the Gospels, and and the idea that's behind what's presented in the Gospels. I'm just using that as a context because this 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 show today isn't about the historical Jesus. The point I want to get across is this. If you want to know something better, you have to spend time with it, knowing it, contemplating it, uh, intimately knowing. You know, if you have a friendship, how are friendships developed? It's with the time. It's with the caring. It's with the contemplative thought. It's with the reflective feeling. It's with the it's, it's it's with the excitement and experiences of life. If you want a better understanding of your money or prosperity consciousness, you got to study money. You got to study your beliefs about money. You got to study how do you accumulate it. 
You got to understand the rules around it. You got to understand how do you influence it. You got to understand how it influences things. That don't mean you have to become an accountant. That's a different type of understanding money. I'm talking about understanding money from the standpoint to where money can be your friend. That's I actually have a book at home called Money is My Friend. And I love the title because what it says is for that person, uh, his relationship with money is healthy. It's not harming him. It's helping him. It's benefiting him. Back to the author. So she says, when we shift our relationship to money, and I don't want you to lose that word relationship. And I also want you to think about that word relationship in in the context of anything else that you want to to deal with because you have a paradigm that you live in that says this is how I show up as whatever in in the context of dealing with money, love, relationship, uh, manhood, womanhood, sexuality, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, back to the book. She goes on to say, when we decide that money is good, that means we have to make a choice. When we decide, somebody can't make that decision for you. When we decide, when we decide to cut off or leave off those old beliefs that we used to have about money, when we decide, I I don't want you to lose this part either because this is choice. And this requires conscious awareness. This isn't lazy, unconscious thinking. When we decide that money is good, if it's good, not only is it good, she goes on to say money is available. So it's good and available. Some people think money isn't available. But money is always available. As I told the staff at CUT yesterday uh, at my staff meeting, every so-called problem is a business. Every so-called problem is a business. If you can solve what the world calls problems or issues for other people, if you can make life work better, faster, more efficiently for others, you can, in a real way, prosper from it. Point blank. Point blank. Nobody saw the mobile phone tablet thing coming down the pike as a kid, you know, growing up, you know, um, seventies, eighties, you know, that was star Trek type stuff. And the Jetsons, you know, when, when Mr. Slade would call, uh, I forgot the, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Jetson. I can't remember his first name now. Uh, and he would call on the TV monitor and he could talk back and forth. That's FaceTime. That's Skype. That's Google Hangouts. We have numerous ways to do what we used to see on TV that, that help take care of a need so people can be feel connected in ways that they couldn't connect with beforehand. I saw something on social media uh, this morning where um, uh, a, a person in the military uh, had his flight delayed and he was able to FaceTime the birth of his first child. 
So even though he wasn't physically there in the airport, he could be with his wife in some level or way where she could hear his voice. He could experience it with her, not in the same way, but better than her feeling he wasn't there at all. Get my point. So not only is it good, it's available. If you can, if you can make life better for anyone, your boss, uh, people who have challenges, circumstances, situations, you can make money. It says money creates freedom. That's what she says. Freedom what? Freedom to choose. It's nothing like wanting to do something, especially something that matters to you. And you have to compromise or not do it at all because you don't have money. I know people right now who make medical decisions because of the money they have or don't have. People who are making decisions over how much money they're going to use for food and other things versus medicine because they don't have enough money. People who want to be able to uh, do things for their children that they can't because of money. People who want to be able to take care of their parents and struggle to figure out how to do it because they don't have money. People who can't bury their loved ones because they don't have money. We can have this conversation, but if we don't ever get very conscious around how money shows up, then we're playing ourselves. What are you not doing right now because you don't have the money to do it? That matters to you. I'm not talking about great about it. You know, I'm pro get all the stuff you want. Get all that stuff out the way. But I'm talking about the things that matter to you. The people you want to help. The people you want to support. The experiences you want to have. What is it that you don't have? What is it that you're not doing? Because you don't have money. The money to do it. That's bondage. That's bondage. Because it's restricting your freedom. I really want that to be clear. It's restricting your freedom. In Chicago, I'm seeing cars drive up and down the street. People driving on the highway with donuts on their cars because they can't get paid to get a tire fixed or a replacement tire. Driving around with cracks in their windshields and damage on their cars because they can't get it fixed. Freedom. Freedom. In a real way, and not just your freedom, the freedom of the people that matter to you. I have to remind myself all the time, every time I play small, I'm robbing my daughter. Every time. Not some of the time. Every time. Because I'm restricting her freedom of movement because I'm not being who I'm supposed to be. It goes on to say money creates memories. Why? Because you it, it can help you have experiences that matter to you. 
The stuff that you get comes and goes. But when you look back at your life, you remember memories. Remember when we did this? Remember when we did that? Remember when we went here? Remember when we went there? Remember when this happened? We're not talking about remember when I got these jeans. It says money cuts the ties that bind people in place. That's what I just talked about before. When you feel restricted that you can't move. That you can't navigate. That you got to stay in places that you want to be in. There are people who stay in abusive relationships because they don't think they can make it economically. You have people who stay in horrific work experiences because they they don't think they can make it economically. This money consciousness matters. It goes on to say, Money provides possibility. What would you do if money wasn't an issue? That's possibility thinking. What would you do? What would you attempt? What would you try? What would you do? What would you learn? What would you accomplish if money wasn't on the table as an issue, as a restriction? Then she says, and then money can be an instrument versus an all-consuming struggle. Then money becomes a conversation tool in our lives. Oh, my God. Money doesn't have to be an all-consuming struggle. But here's the thing, and I just wanted to get really clear because this is what one of the things that I had to get really clear about with my own life. Money requires divine order. Money requires divine order. How you use it, when you use it, where you use it matters. What do I mean by that? If you're not conscious and orderly about your money, then it cannot serve you. It cannot accumulate. We cannot be just emotional about our money. Well, I deserve this, so I'm just going to go buy this whatever. Okay, did you make a budget? Did you make some structure? Do you have a financial plan? Are you executing that plan? Do you know what you want your money to do? Do you know where you want your money to go? And do you know why? Because many times, we're just too random with our money. Uh, we had a gentleman here uh, that goes to the church who writes uh, material on prosperity, money, wealth building, etc. And in one of the seminars, um, he someone asked him, um, you know, when he was younger, you know, where did he find the extra money to, to invest? Because the guy was talking about investments. And uh, he said, oh, that's easy. I eat rice and beans every day for lunch. And I use my the money I was spending going to because he worked downtown at the time. So I spent the money that I would spend on lunch every day downtown, spending that ten, twelve dollars to go get lunch with everybody else, go sit down. And if he said and more if it was you downtown ten this was years ago, obviously. That would be way more now to go out with your friends, eat lunch, go, you know, stop, whatever. You know, in the morning, he said in the morning he would, you know, 
get a coffee on the way in and what, et cetera. He said, all that money was adding up. He said, so I decided instead, and this is the paraphrase, and this isn't directly what he said, but his paraphrase was, instead of buying, let me put it in 2018 language. I'm not saying you should or shouldn't do it. I'm just giving you an idea of what he was saying. What he was saying in 2018 language was instead of uh, Starbucks in the morning and 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 the, that $13 lunch every day, I just invested that money for years. I'm not saying you had to give up your Starbucks or your lunch or whatever. What I am saying is you should know where your money is going or where it isn't going. That's what I'm saying. So for him, he had a system. What's your system? Do you know where your money is going and why? Do you know what your money is doing and why? Money requires divine order. If you can't take care of what you have, you won't take care of more. If you can't be orderly with what you have, you won't be orderly with more. You will just ra- raise your expenses. Uh, I learned, you know, I jokingly told one of my buddies, I said, you know, I said, we're the people that we prayed about when we were 18. I said, I said you know, when we were outside pushing carts at Dominic's Finer Foods grocery store as teenagers making $4.20 an hour. And I, <laughs> I just think about that. Just saying that out loud just made me say, "Oh, that's a gasp." Uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, I said, "You know, nobody would have ever thought that any of us would have any issues with money when we were the people back in the day pushing carts in a grocery store parking lot for money." But as we kept making more money. We kept adding more expenses. So instead of creating distance between the amount of money we make and the expenses we make, I wanted to make sure that, excuse me, we we just, as we made more money, we just raised our expenses. So we were always close to money expense because the whole first conversation we joked about it was, oh, I can afford that. Oh, I can do that. Oh, I can make that work. But it was keeping things too close to the border of what made sense and what didn't make sense. So uh, we're coming up to uh, our, our break. The show's now going forward. We'll have one break instead of two breaks. So it'll extend a little bit longer. So let me let you know that this show, along with all the other shows on Unity Online Radio, are supported by your donation. So as you freely receive, freely give, go to unity.fm, click on the Donate or Give button. And help support this online ministry so it can continue to spread around the world. This show has a Facebook page. Uh, so go on Facebook, like it. Do what you need to do to make it work, etc., etc. So uh, God, we'll be right back with Truth Transforms. Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach around the world, we depend on the generosity of listeners like you. If you enjoy the programming, please make your donation today by going to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate. Thank you for your support. Peace in the presence of conflict. Love in the presence of hatred. Forgiveness in the presence of injury. These words are easy to say. It's challenging, though, to live them in everyday life. After all, I can make my words and actions peaceful, but I have no control over the words and actions of others. That's true. But think about it. If you, then I, then others, one by one, responded in love in every situation, the effect would be like the wave you see spread across a sports stadium. It would go on and on, gaining momentum as it moved through the people around us. I can let peace begin with me. To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website at www.unity. If you've been on a spiritual path for a long time, what can you read that's new and exciting? Try Unity Magazine. It's designed for the seasoned spiritual student with in-depth articles and interviews about spiritual practices and philosophies. Our columnists share their own faith journeys and cover healing, science, and psychology with even a little scripture thrown in. You'll read some classic authors and some new ones. Get a free trial issue at unitymagazine.org. Experience the healing power of sacred sound. Join Ramdesh every Thursday at 4 p.m. Central for Spirit Voyage Radio. Each week, Ramdesh explores the world of mantra and other forms of spiritual music. Listen to interviews with spiritual musicians and other fascinating guests and get inspired by beautiful devotional music. Explore the ancient mystical world of Kundalini Yoga from the empowering perspective of new thought. Don't miss Spirit Voyage Radio with Ramdesh every Thursday on Unity Media Network. What does unity mean to me? We came at a time in our lives when it was just the right time. We needed uh, we needed to work on our spiritual lives, and it just felt like such an awesome fit. I think it's about um, knowing that you have uh, the power through prayer and thought to change your life, to control your life. It is my spiritual home. It is my community. It is a place where I am affirmed. I was so fed up with the traditional way in which, quote, religion, end of quote, was activating things around the world. Welcome back to Truth Transforms with your host, Reverend Galen McDowell. All right, we're back with Truth Transforms. Uh, let's get back to it. I want to make sure that we get to it. All right. So, again, it says that then money becomes a conversation tool in our lives. And a conversation tool, I think, matters because many times we don't realize that if we use it as a conversation tool, then we're actually generating and creating opportunities and possibilities of money based upon what we're talking about. 
uh, uh, not just to others, but with ourselves. Because we're always having conversations with ourselves. We're always having these conversations in our heads about what we believe, what we don't believe, what's possible, what's not possible. Yeah, I should do this. No, I shouldn't do that, et cetera, et cetera. Instead of being really clear and about what it is that we're doing and why in our minds, uh, we will talk ourselves out of something. And then a person shows up in the outer world just to give us an opportunity to uh, have it reinforced in our lives. In other words, the outer is just reflecting the inner. Let's get back to the book. So it says, how were you raised to think about money? That's a very good question. How were you raised to think about money? And most people will have a variety of ways. If your folks or parents or parent uh, or extended family, grandmamas, uncles, cousins, etc., older siblings were always complaining about money, stressed about money, not knowing what they were going to do or how to do it. Subconsciously, that affected you and you might not even realize it. Um, you know, if, you know, she gives the example in the book uh, later on about a, a, um, a little old lady who was who was so righteous and pious but she never had money. All right. So she goes on to say on page 210, identifying your money blueprint. And she says, uh, a money blueprint is the unique combination of beliefs and actions that results from cultural, economic, and other life experiences you've encountered since childhood that today influences how you make money, what you think about money, how you spend it, and how you react when money flows into your life. Let me just stop there. I'm going to read it again because this is really important. A money blueprint is the unique combination of beliefs and actions that results from cultural, economic, and other life experiences you've encountered since childhood that today influence how you make money, what you think about money, and how you spend it. And how you react when money flows into your life. It's a very deep statement. And we're going to drill down on it on uh, cultural and economic and other life experiences. We, we're, going to, we're going to drill down on that. Because I think it's important for us to realize what's actually functioning as our default belief system around money. Let me ask you this question. What scenarios come up in your life that make you uncomfortable about money? For instance, um, I don't like the feeling of not having enough money. You know, I have a, like a mechanism that says, okay, when I don't have this, I'm not comfortable. You know, I mean, it's like a it's like a definite number. Like when I, you know, because for me, a certain number says I don't have the freedom to do what I want to do, and it bothers me. But as I look back, uh, that was something that I learned from mom and grandparents and et cetera, stuff like that. Dad, all of them. If that money wasn't right, they weren't happy. Period. And I have to catch myself not to be 
uh, not to default into my cultural background and upbringing when it comes to money. You know, like point blank, I had to be very, very mindful of it versus being in a situation, a circumstance that says, "Okay, I'm always in the universal flow of good. Prosperity is my birthright. I'm a divine child of a rich father and all of my uh, needs and wants are always abundantly provided for by the infinite substance of God. Different conversation. You have to be conscious and you have to catch yourself. You have to catch yourself. So it goes on to say, uh, now that you're older, your money blueprint is deep-rooted as a series of subconscious triggers that cause you to act and react in certain ways. So when these scenarios pop up, you're going to act a certain way. When these scenarios pop up, you're going to react in a certain way. And here's the thing about reaction. Reactions are so subconscious, you don't you don't think you have a choice. You don't think that a decision has already been made. What I'm saying is the decision has already been made, and you're actually living out of past conditioning. And you think it's just, oh, that's just the way I am. No, that's just not the way you are. It's just the way you've been conditioned. Life has conditioned you to act a certain way and react a certain way under certain conditions. So when the condition is met, the trigger happens. And you're totally unaware of it. It's a total unconscious thing. So she goes into my cultural effect, your, your cultural background affects your money blueprint. She she gives a lot of stuff about, you know, church, growing up in the church culture when I was talking about before. And one of the things she wrote was, does your culture tell you to do more with less to constantly stretch your dollar? Does it say that money gives you status and that it and more is always better? Was money a positive element in your culture? How does that affect your view and your interaction with money now? She says, if your culture growing up with uh, was one where most families experience financial struggle or lack. We'll talk in just a moment about how to reprogram this thinking that life is hard. If you grew up, blah, 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 blah. She gives example after example. A point is, if you're not very clear about how you were raised around money, your cultural background can affect things. I'm give an example. Uh, my maternal grandfather uh, was, uh, both of my maternal grandparents were raised in extreme poverty in the Delta area of Mississippi, extreme poverty. And my grandfather's mother made a transition when he was nine. And he had to drop out of school when he was in the sixth grade to help take care of his younger siblings and work and all type of stuff. So because they had so little my grandfather literally would stay on my sister and I about everything we ate. We couldn't, I mean, that plate better be clean when we went. If, if he put it on the plate or my grandmother put it on the plate, he better not see a crumb on that plate. He would chew, if he had a T-bone steak, he chewed the bone. And I'm not ex- lying or exaggerating. I wish my sister was on the phone right now. She would tell you it's the God honest truth. 
He would take the, we would say, Granddaddy, I'm finished with the chicken. What? It would take the chicken bone and start chewing the chicken bone and the joints and the marrow and all type of stuff. We were like, you're like, you leaving all this meat on the bone, boy, and be ready to whoop you. Over leaving food, like, because we ate until we were full. We didn't know anything about starving. But for him, person that not only had to grow up not knowing what you needed to do, but a person that at nine years old had to figure out how to take care of younger siblings, feed everybody while his dad was out working all day to try to take care of all these children by himself now. So that mentality showed up as when I put it on the plate, you better eat it because I didn't grow up so with the benefit of being able to throw food away. And I had to be mindful of that. You know, you know, that when I sit down and eat and I have a, a very healthy appetite <laughs> and, I, you know, uh, but at the same time. I don't have to eat all of it. Like. Like literally, and I'm not exaggerating, and I'm, and I'm, I'm saying this in a joking kind of way because I'm not mad about it now. But it was one th- like my grandfather used to eat buffalo fish with all those bones, and he would like. I mean, it would it would look like the fish was assaulted, and he was like, like, like literally ready to whoop me because I wouldn't eat the buff- buffalo fish because he put it on the plate. I remember running all up and down the house to get to my grandmother because <laughs> I was like, my grandmother sides with me. <laughs> nobody could touch me, mom, dad, or nobody. You know, you got to have somebody in your corner like that. And, uh, but he was dead serious, like grabbing for the belt. Like, boy, you're going to eat that fish. No, no, I'm not. Because I just don't have to eat what's put on my plate. And I really want you to get this. This I'm saying this in a joking way, but I want you to realize that things like that, if you're not aware of it, can condition how you show up in life. No, I don't have to eat everything that shows up on my plate. No, I don't have to deal with everything that you present to me. No, I don't have to accept every situation and scenario that a person presents to me. No, I have choice. I always have choice. And when it comes to money and prosperity, I always have choice because God's infinite abundance is everywhere present. It doesn't have to be in my bank account for it to be handled. God is not limited to what to what my job brings to the table. It's a different kind of conditioning. She goes on to say, your page two twelve, your economic blueprint, your economic background helps draw your money blueprint. She says, it's probably no surprise that the amount of money your family had growing up, the economic situation you were in, had a tremendous influence on your relationship with money. This is true, but here's the thing. My grandparents, when I was born, owned three buildings and had the house they had. They, 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 we lived in, they had built. And they, but my grandfather's conditioning couldn't allow him to think differently. So that conditioning helps condition your, their, their child, their grandchildren, et cetera, et cetera. You have to be mindful of it. Economic. You know, you you have situations and circumstances now where people are will 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 start to believe that what's possible and what's not possible based upon their upbringing. 
Just because everybody in your family was on welfare does not mean you have to be on welfare. It it could be a hand up. It don't have to be a permanent experience. Get my point. Just because other people have experiences with unemployment and jobs or whatever doesn't mean it has to be your experience. You have to choose just because people in your family uh, or even parents were hustlers and sold drugs or did crimes or did whatever doesn't mean that has to be your experience. There are people right now in the United States and across the world who only know life growing up in the hustle. They don't know what it means to see a mom or dad get up and go to work. For them, work was selling dope. And I'm saying this especially because I know that it's true, and I know that it's true in Chicago, specifically. This is a so so you have to recognize all of those things shape your money blueprint. Some people don't believe in hard work because they ain't never seen anybody work hard. No, some people don't believe in systematic saving and earning your money and being structured and having divine order because they've never seen it. Their economic background is shaping their money blueprint. If mama and daddy or grandmama and granddaddy or whoever never saved money, you're not going to save it. If they they weren't trying to do what they needed to do legally to get what they needed to get and handle what they needed to handle and long-term plan, etc., then you're not going to do it unless you make a conscious choice to be different. She says, you need to be, page 213, you need to be aware of what your, of what economic level your blueprint is helping you aspire to. In other words, where you are mentally, as far as money, will consistently hit the similar targets. Consistently. It's conditioning. And conditioning doesn't go away with two church services Uh, a YouTube video and an affirmation. You got to work. You got to pull, as Reverend Coleman would say, those suckers out by the root. You got to pull them out by the root, by the roots, in other words. Going on, she also talks about gender, how gender can have a, a influence on money in both ways if you're ladies obviously we know that the economics between men and women are still not where they need to be far as balanced and people have to be able to see that i should be able to if i'm doing the same job the same way under the same circumstances then everybody then the pay should be equal across the board but we have to have a consciousness that demands that experience and at the same time, gender can have an, as a guy, when, you know, as I've said before on this show, and I don't, you know, men, when men don't have handle their business financially, it, 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 it's hard on the male psyche. That provider aspect of, of a man, something, mm, it, something, it, 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 when a, 
I'm not saying this from a spiritual standpoint. I'm just talking about just from a manhood standpoint. This is me talking as a man only, not minister, not metaphysician. Men need wins. A man needs to be able to look at something and say, I did that. I accomplished this. It matters. Now, we can have a whole bunch of conversation around why that matters and what we could do to change that and all of that type of stuff. That's not the purpose of this conversation. But but that sense of accomplishment is something that the male psyche needs. When you look at your children and they're doing what they need to be doing and it, 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 you, you, can, you can say, yeah, this work I've been putting in was worth it. They have what they need to have. They need to do what they need to do. When 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 that you know when that man sees his his family in the house that that he's helping to work to get, it doesn't make a difference one way or another. It you know you know the scenario, but that sense of I'm doing what I need to do to take care of what I need to take care of my job, my business, my whatever. I I, I even tell people in ministry multiple times, don't give men an indefinite job. Give them something that they can say, I did that. I accomplished this and can look at it and point to it. Then give them another assignment. But if they just have some indefinite responsibilities that don't give them a sense of accomplishment, it doesn't come across the same way. That's just an extra little bonus. Take it or leave it. If it doesn't apply or you don't agree, no argument. Keep it moving. All right. She goes on to say, your geographic origins affect your money mindset. She says, what about your geographic origin, the place you the place you grew up? Your childhood community may have had a diversity of cultures and ethnicities, but there's still a geographic umbrella to everyone in that community. She talks about growing up in South Central L.A. and how that colored how she thought about money. Growing up on the south side of Chicago colored how I think about money. It's the difference between growing up in the south side of Chicago and growing up in Beverly Hills, California, or Bel Air, California. There's a difference between growing up in, um, you know, in an impoverished nation or, 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 or neighborhood, or et cetera. It, it, it changes how you look at things. And we have to be mindful of that conditioning. So if you, if you grew up in ab, object poverty, then you have to be more diligent on making sure that you are reconditioning your subconscious mind around money and prosperity. She goes on to say, when you look at your geography, what has it taught you about your relationship to money? Did it give you a mindset of ease and abundance or tightness and scarcity? She goes on to say the spiritual upbringing can be a help or hindrance. She goes on to say in some spiritual backgrounds, for instance, money and prosperity is an indication of godliness. In others, it is the root of all evil. In still others, you should aspire to earn what you need and give any access to the church and charity. So your religious beliefs about money matters because if you want to be pious and you believe that wicked people have money, then subconsciously you're going to push yourself, push yourself away from it because you don't want to be one of those wicked people. Religion has a funny conversation around money 
Because we say, well, it doesn't matter, and you shouldn't think about it, you shouldn't focus on it, etc. Yet money is needed to do ministry. I don't care what anybody says. To do ministry effectively, you need supply. Jesus had a treasurer. His name was Judas, by the way. You say, well, see, he was whatever. The issue with Jesus, Judas wasn't a what wasn't if he did his job well or not. The issue was he betrayed him, which is a whole different conversation for another day. If you want to get into that conversation, go back and listen to, to my show on "Discover the Power Within You" in defense of Judas, which I'm not defending Judas. What I'm that's the name of the chapter where we go into detail around why Judas. Uh, betrayed Jesus, the historical and the metaphysical interpretation. So she talks about, again, in this part of the book, that pious church mother who was always doing and giving, etc., but always broke. Why? She didn't have divine order around money. She didn't make it an emphasis. How can something grow that you give no energy and attention to, no emphasis, and don't have in divine order? Oh, it doesn't matter. We're so nonchalant about things, but a laborer is worthy of his or her pay. So she go, She finally says, your blueprint isn't right or wrong. She says, of course, none of these cultural, economic, or spiritual influences make your blueprint right or wrong. They simply make up your foundational mindset. Your blueprint was created mostly before you were aware and long before you were able to make any decisions about money yourself. So this, don't discount the money the mindset of your old money blueprint because that is where what got you here it is what it is but it also gives you a starting point for reforming your mental blueprint into one that will better support your ultimate financial goals so i just really want you to be present over these last few minutes of the show uh about your money blueprint your your why in other words being very clear about what do you want to do, where do you want to go, and why. So you can shift and recreate your money blueprint so you're not pushing money, you're not pushing possibility, you're not pushing opportunity away, literally and metaphysically. It's important that you recognize where you are when it comes to your money blueprint. Being very aware. So what she does is she gives an exercise on page 218, 219, and 220 about how you can dissect or get very clear about what your money mindset is. It's a series of questions that you answer. And in the midst of answering those questions, you discover your money mindset, your your economic blueprint. And if you can expose it, you can change it. It's hard to change something you don't expose and you're not looking at it in its totality because you think you cleaned it up and then it's there. It's some more left to deal with. It's sort of like forgiveness. People say, oh, I forgave that person until something comes up and triggers it. Then you realize you still have some more forgiveness to do. Well, it's the same thing with this economic blueprint. You think you might have addressed it, but you really might not because you might not even be happy with the money you make. There's some people who make good money, but the economic blueprint doesn't allow them to enjoy it. Because they're trying to prove somebody wrong. I'm going to prove my daddy that I'm worth it. I'm worthy. He was never around or he was too hard on me or he was whatever or your mama or whatever. Now, some people have an economic money blueprint where they don't respect the honor money because they don't 
have have value for money. So if you know, I'm a big believer in people working and having skin in the game when it comes to their money. People are always asking other people to do stuff but don't have skin in the game. You know, like when you have teenagers who don't have a value of money, they should have jobs. You should be making them pay for the stuff they want to pay for. Uh, if they want a car, you know, even if you buy it, okay, are you paying for insurance? Are you uh, paying for these oil changes? Are you whatever? They got to have skin in the game because you just give them the keys. If you just let them stay, if you just let them be around, then you got to realize that there's some level of payoff for you. Are you getting a payoff from being in control of things? Are you getting a payoff because it gives you some other value that you're not being aware of, like them being around, them being close to you, you're not letting them leave the nest and go fly, et cetera, et cetera. It's many things. So, you know, we lie to ourselves and we pretend that we do things for other reasons other than the reasons why we do them. So I want you to be very present to all of that. Now, next week, we're going to continue working with this chapter. I'm not going to do the exercises, but we're going to get into the other ways of dealing with financial success, et cetera, et cetera, because I want to make sure that we have an opportunity to really drill down on this chapter because I believe the money consciousness matters. So just be let's be mindful. Again, uh, I'll be with you next week. If you listen to the show on iTunes and Stitcher, make sure you go on and give it a five-star rating and a positive review. Do the same thing on Facebook. I appreciate you all. Love you all. God bless you. If you're in the Chicagoland area, stop by CUT on on Sunday. I'll be speaking at Bodhi Spiritual Center on, on Sunday as well. God bless you. Do you ever feel that calling that you should be doing more with your life? If you're unhappy with the status quo, I can help. My name is Elias Patras, and I'm an intuitive motivator, psychic medium, and motivational speaker. I know that feeling, and on my podcast, Your Inner Voice, I can help you answer that call to step into your life's purpose. I will show you how to recognize and listen to the signs and signals that are all around us and help you tap into your intuition. Join me for the show here on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network and wherever you get your podcasts. Let's connect, educate, and grow on this journey together.